Welcome to the True Vine Podcast. Wherever you are listening, we hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and brings perspective that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Good morning, True Vine. What a privilege to be back with you again in revival service and uh, just rejoicing in the power and the presence of God these last two services and uh, knowing that God has given us specific direction to go forward and also specific understanding of how we praise and worship even in our homes, our living rooms, our dining rooms, and our sanctuaries. And so we are just excited about the direction and the clarity that God has given us. I come with a word today, a revelation and a word of faith, and I want to get right to the word of God. So giving high honor to Pastor, First Lady, we love the Durances very much. Would you look with me as we go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I'm titling the message today, How the Prophetic Operates. How the Prophetic Operates. And hopefully you'll understand by the simple clarity of the title that we're talking about prophecy and how prophecy should work and operate in our lives and that faith is an integral part of this. Praise the Lord. For the prophetic to operate in our life, there must be a proper and particular response to that prophetic word. Some people erroneously think that once a true prophecy is spoken, that it's the infallible, unchangeable will and purpose of God. But we see in the word of God that is not so. Do you remember Jonah, the true prophet of God, has a true word from God sent to Nineveh. And the word is this, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And Jonah goes through the streets preaching this prophetic word. But 40 days comes, 40 days goes. Nineveh is not destroyed. But instead, they repent, and in sackcloth and ashes, they ask God for mercy, and they ask God for grace. But since this prophetic word goes forward, they respond properly and particularly, and it changes the judgment of that prophetic word. There must be a proper and particular response for the word of God to happen. You can remember. Remember in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus goes into the synagogue in Nazareth to preach and he picks up the book of Isaiah and begins to prophesy that what Isaiah declared would happen, you're going to see happen in this church service. That's what Jesus prophesied. You're going to see blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped. You're going to see miracles, signs and wonders and healings in the place. But the scripture lets us know that not many works were done that day. Jesus prophesied it would happen in their midst and not much happened. Was he a true prophet? Yes. Was he speaking the prophetic? Yes. But their improper response, their lack of being particular responsive in their faith did not allow the miracles, the signs that he had prophesied to happen would happen. It's the same thing with the prophet Isaiah speaking to Hezekiah. Get your house in order. You're going to die and not live. But Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and prays a prayer of remember me, oh my God. And God turns the prophet around and tells Isaiah, tell Hezekiah he's got 15 more years. Well, was the first prophecy true? Of course. 
Is the second one true? Absolutely. But there's a proper and particular response that must happen in order for us to complete the work of the prophetic in our life. Jesus speaks of a parable, and this is understanding. He said there's a parable of the sower and the seed, and the seed is thrown by the farmer or the sower upon soil. Now, he likened the seed into the word of God, and for our understanding, we're going to make the seed even more specific. We're going to make the seed the prophetic word of God. So the prophet or the sower or the preacher sows the prophetic word of God, but it must land upon good soil. And Jesus identified four types of soil. One type of soil is hardened ground. And the soil speaks of the heart of mankind. So when the prophetic word goes forth by the sower, it falls upon the hearts of mankind. And some hearts are like hardened ground. And Jesus said in this parable that that's individuals that hear with no understanding. They don't have spiritual understanding. They don't realize what's being spoken. They cannot fathom and understand the word of God that is coming to them. And so their heart is hardened. They cannot receive it. It's why we must continually plow up the fallow grounds of our heart, stay sensitive to the spirit of God, and have understanding. So the true prophetic word goes forth, but lands on hardened soil of man's heart, and there's no production of this prophetic seed. Another type of soil that does not produce the prophetic is stony ground. And this, Jesus said, is the hearts of mankind that have been afflicted and persecuted and hurt, and it is harboring unforgiveness and bitterness, confusion, and this does not allow the prophetic word to produce what the prophetic word should produce. So the preacher or the prophet speaks the prophetic word. It lands on soil or hearts that there's bitterness and unforgiveness, and it cannot produce what it should produce because the soil is not prepared properly. The third type of soil that cannot produce from the prophetic word is thorny ground. And Jesus said of the thorny ground that the seed finds a little life and begins to grow. But immediately the cares of life, like weeds and thorns and thistles in a garden, begin to choke out that life of the prophecy. And it produces only a small growth, but does not produce what is prophesied and what is spoken. But thankfully, Jesus said, there's one more soil. That's good soil. That's hearts that are prepared and not hardened. Hearts that have understanding. Hearts that have been forgiving and pliable. Hearts that are open to the presence of God and not letting the cares of this life consume them. And when the prophetic word goes forth and lands in that soil, the good soil, it produces work of the prophetic. But even Jesus said in good soil, some produce 100% of what is prophesied. Others produce 60% of what is prophesied. And some only produce 30% of what is prophesied. And we can see in context of this parable that the same thing that does not allow the prophecy to work 
soil of man's heart is the same thing that limits the percentage of what the prophecy can do in your life. You become a little hardened in your spirit. You have a little bit of bitterness, confusion, hurt. You have these things in your life, the cares of life, steal it for some particular percentage. I, early in my ministry, saw this exacted out very clearly. God had given me a promised revival that I would see in a series of services a hundred brand new souls that would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking in tongues in our revival. So I began to share this everywhere I went with pastors and churches, and I had great faith, and I was reaching out and talking about my vision and my prophecy. At the same time, unknown to me, God had spoken to a pastor in the Midwest and told him, he would have a hundred soul revival in his church. So a mutual friend of ours got us together thinking we're serving the same God, a very similar prophecy. Maybe we are to connect. And we felt confirmation. We had people we trusted speak to us of confirmation. So we cleared our schedule and we began revival. And the very first week, the power of God began to fall. And a church that had only had a handful of people receive the Holy Ghost an entire year. In the very first week, five received the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking in tongues. I began to realize that for this church to receive a hundred so revival, there was going to have to be some shift and some changes. Because in their auditorium, there was 167 seats. And that included the four seats on the platform and the one seat in the baptistry. Wouldn't that be a place to sit all service long? 167 seats. And if there was to have a hundred soul revival in a congregation that ran approximately a hundred people, they're going to need space for some 30 or so more people and still be packed. I counted the parking places in their parking lot, and if they average three person per car, they need another 20 or 30 parking spaces to house a revival of 100, which means some people could be uncomfortable where they sit in their service. Perhaps they'd have to go to one or two services. Perhaps they'd have to park out in the grass or the dirt. There's changes they would have to make for this revival. But the church was hungry. They were ready. They believed the prophecy. And we went on in revival. By the next week, there was eight had received the Holy Ghost. The third week, 12, 13, 14. By the fifth and sixth week, we were up to 24, 25. The next week, we're now at 30 received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we are well on our way to a hundred soul revival. But there was a blessing that happened to that church. And key leaders began to receive some financial blessing. This is absolutely a part of Harvest Revival. The prophecy of Joel 2 is a blessing to your finance, a blessing to your health, a blessing to your relationship, and a blessing to a largening of the kingdom of God or souls coming into the kingdom. So here we are. 30 people received the gift of the Holy Ghost. We're a few weeks into this revival, and now there's financial blessing happened to key leaders. And the key leaders began to think this way. God is blessing me, and we've always wanted to move from this neighborhood to a better neighborhood, out of this house to a house that better accommodates our family. 
And so they began to clean up the garage and paint the spare bedroom and spend time with real estate agents. Now, there's nothing whatsoever wrong with being blessed of God and nothing wrong with buying houses and moving to new neighborhoods. But you have to be careful that the cares of life don't crop up in the middle of your prophetic revival, in the middle of your prophecy. So instead of spending time praying and teaching Bible studies, they're now riding with a real estate agent and fixing their house up. And I watched a revival that was prophesied a hundred souls die at 33 souls. That was it. Now, thank God for 33 brand new people that received the gift of the Holy Ghost. But what about the 67 others that God promised? We received only 30% of what is prophesied because the cares of life begin to crop up in the middle of our revival. I tell you that I have seen this over and over and over in our ministry. There is a proper and particular response of faith that must happen to the prophetic word. We've got to have a proper response or we limit our prophetic word that is given to us. It's in the word of God as well, very specifically. Elisha is on his deathbed and he is now going on to his reward. King Joash has come to weep over his face, and this is true grief, because time after time, Elisha the prophet has saved King Joash, and now he comes to mourn as Elisha is passing away. And as he is there, the gift within that old prophet begins to stir and he begins to prepare some things so that prophecy can happen and so that there can be a supernatural operation of the spirit. And he tells the king, go to the window, open it eastward and prepare arrows and bow in your hand. Now, opening the window eastward is a typology in the Old Testament of prayer. The prophets would open the window and face eastward toward Jerusalem as Daniel did to pray. This is a preparation of prayer. The prophetic is always prepared or preceded by prayer. We must be a praying people. And there is a prayer that is going forth that is seeking the face of God as they open the window eastward in typology. And now the prophet gets out of his deathbed, puts his hands upon the hands of the king, and they string the arrow in that bow, and the arrow flies out the window, the two of them in impartation, as prophet now begins to prophesy, Behold, the arrow of God's deliverance. Syria that has encamped against us, you will utterly destroy that army and you will drive them all the way out of the land, even to Aphek. Now, that's the prophecy. They would totally destroy their enemy and they would drive them completely out of the land. But every time, every time, there is a prophetic word that God gives us. He will speak to us a commandment to demonstrate our faith that we believe the prophetic word that is being spoken. And so the word that is spoken for obedience to King Joash is take an arrow in your hand and smite it upon the ground. Now realize 
they have an enemy that has come against them. And he has bow and arrows to defend himself. But the prophet is declaring, take what you have to defend yourself. Take your weapons. Take what you have as resource and strike them upon the ground. In essence, you're going to destroy the arrows and bend them and they will not fly straight. You will blunt the sharp tips and they will not be effective. Take what little resource you have and strike it on the ground. And the king takes the arrows and begins to strike it on the ground. And we have to read between the lines to see this as we see that Joash begins to hit the ground casually. Maybe he's struggling with the thought. I might need these arrows. Maybe he's thinking this isn't wise. Maybe he's thinking this has no understanding or maybe he's tired. We don't understand and know in the scripture why. But when he hits the ground the second time, it seems to be that he's just casually hitting the ground. And then he hits the ground third time, perhaps softly, and he just stops. He quits doing what he was told to do. And when the prophet sees him hit the ground only three times, he is upset. Why were you so casual with your prophetic utterance? The arrows was the sign of God's deliverance. You should have taken the arrows and hit the ground five, six, seven times. And you received a hundred percent of what is prophesied. But because your faith was casual with your obedience response to the prophetic, you're going to get about half of what is prophesied. And that's what happened. Syria came and they destroyed him the first, second, third time. But as they came the fourth and fifth, they no longer defeated them. The prophecy said you'll drive them completely out of the land and utterly destroy them. And they received half of what is prophesied, because when they demonstrated their faith, they were just casual with their faith. They were average with their faith. They were haphazard with their faith response in obedience to their prophecy. This is everywhere in the word of God. I, I have here in my fingers, and hopefully you can see that. This is a lemon seed. A lemon seed. And within this seed's DNA is the ability for it to be planted in the ground, for it to grow into a small sapling and then a mature citrus tree. And within the DNA of this seed is the ability for it to produce a hundred lemons. But we know a lot of lemon trees produce 60 lemons. Or 30 lemons. The problem is not in the seed. It's not in the word. It's not in the prophetic word. Because within that word is the DNA for it to produce 100%. But what we know the problem is, is that when this seed comes into good soil, it has to be cultivated properly. It has to be taken care of. It has to be watered. There has to be a proper and particular response to that seed being planted in the soil in order for it to produce 100% of what is prophesied. Elijah was that powerful prophet of old who was so powerful that when sin was being demonstrated by the people of Israel, God's people, 
Then Elijah shut up the heavens with his word. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. Now, imagine for me, I know that Southern Cal has gone through times of drought. But remember, just just imagine what it would be like if it didn't rain here in SoCal for, for an entire year. There would be very few crops, if any. No citrus trees, for sure no lemons, if any. But now it's been two years. How desperate would we be getting? Any reservoirs that we have, any lakes that we have would begin to become small and dry. Any creeks or rivers that are flowing. And now it's not been two years, but three years. So there's extreme drought and extreme famine in the land. Any water they have is being carefully hoarded. I'm assuming only for human consumption. And now it's three and a half years because God is bringing the his people to their knees in repentance because of their immoral, immorality and idolatry. But the prophet of God, Elijah, has his ear tuned to the spiritual realm and he hears a sound of grace and mercy. It sounds like an abundance of rain is already happening. Now, it's happening in the spiritual realm. That's how he can hear it. But it's not yet happening in the physical realm. And so Elijah begins to pull together an opportunity for God's people to understand he is the one true God and God will prove himself to them and they can trust him and serve him and then they can have blessings of abundant rain. So this is what the contest on top of Mount Carmel is all about. And so the contest is simply this, and I'm not going to make this lengthy story long. I'm going to shorten it. Hopefully you know enough about the story. But there are false prophets worshiping Baal. And the contest is you make a sacrifice on the top of Mount Carmel and call out to your God, Baal, and let him consume the sacrifice with fire. And if that happens, then Baal will be our God. But if you cannot bring fire from heaven, let Elijah, the man of God, prepare a sacrifice, pray a prayer, and let fire come from heaven. Then all will know that Jehovah is the one true God and him we will serve. So the contest begins. And the false prophets all day long are crying out and they're cutting themselves with great sacrifice. But Baal has no eyes to see their sacrifice has no ears to hear their sacrifice. I'm not going to go into this, but we worship gods today just like these nations of old did. And we put our trust in things that are not God. We put our trust in governments and entertainments and programs and finances and what the medical world says. I hope that we understand that these things are not what we need to serve, but we need to worship and praise and serve one that is above all of these things. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so all day long, these false prophets of Baal are calling out and there's no fire. And Elisha stops the nonsense and he says, okay, it's time to prepare for the prophetic. That's prayer, remember, prayer. And so he builds the altar again, a place of prayer, a place of sacrifice. He puts the sacrifice upon the altar, and there the oxen is made to sacrifice. But before he begins to pray, here's that word that we've got to have to obey to really see where our faith is. He turns to the servants, 
And by the way, there's always servants in a miracle. He turns to the servants and says, go get four barrels of water. Now realize water is very scarce and they have to take these four barrels and somehow convince those that are guarding the reservoir, we need water. But somehow they get the water, bring it back to the man of God. And astonishing, the man of God pours it on the sacrifice. Now seemingly, this doesn't make sense. Because if you want to start a fire, you need dry wood. And he is soaking the wood with these four barrels of water. But then he turns, not, not, not casual with his response of faith, he turns to the servants and says, I need four more, eight barrels of water. Now, I don't know what the servants had to do when they go back to the reservoir and the guys that are guarding the reservoir said, what'd you do with the last four barrels? Well, we, we poured it out on the sacrifice. You wasted, we poured it out on the sacrifice. And somehow they get eight barrels of water. That's poured on the sacrifice and the wood is soaking wet, but it's not enough. They need 12. He goes over the top with his response of faith. And finally the servants bring 12 barrels of water poured on the sacrifice until a ground that has not had rain in three and a half years is so saturated. It's holding water in a trench around the sacrifice. And now the man of God prays a simple prayer. Lord, roll up your sleeves and show your power to these people. And lightning fire falls from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, burns the altar, laps at the water, and smokes the ground. God has proven he's a supernatural God. What I need to emphasize here is we serve a supernatural God and he doesn't mind. Indeed, he loves for you to prove him. Prove me that I will pour out abundance. This is what he says to us. And he doesn't need the fire to have a dry harvest. He doesn't need the wood to be dry. He doesn't need the altar to be dry. He is a supernatural God. He doesn't need the economy to be good. He doesn't need the diagnosis of your health to be good. He doesn't need the numbers to be curving or to be stopping. He is a God that is a supernatural God and he'll prove himself to you if you'll trust his prophetic word and have that faith response and obedient to that prophetic word. So fire falls from heaven, but Prophet Elijah understands the principle of 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then would I hear from heaven, heal their land. There is a healing that needs to happen to this land. But it takes more than the prayer preparation. It also takes a turning from wicked ways. And so the prophet declares, take all of your idolatry down to the river and cut its head off. And now the prophecy of abundance of rain come into a land that has not seen dew or rain for three and a half years is spoken and declared. It's coming. Abundance of rain. But the prophet does not go home, stretch back in his lazy boy, eat chicken. <laughs> no, we find him taking a servant, always a servant in the middle of a miracle, to a place of intercession. And there at some promontory where he can kneel with his knees bent and his head between his knees. This is a position of intercession or travail. He begins to pray. What, what, what are you doing, man of God? 
You've already heard a sound of abundance of rain. You have already declared and prophesied it's going to happen. But now he is interceding because what's already happened in the spiritual realm, a rain that he can hear in the spiritual realm, somebody has to reach into the spiritual realm, this is what happens with travail, and intercede until what is prophesied in the spiritual realm comes in or is birthed into the physical realm. So his intercession is a travail that is allowing what is prophesied to come into the physical realm. He prays, and you know the story. Again, I'm not going to belabor it. He prays and intercedes, and then he tells the servant, go look and see if there's not a change. And the servant goes and looks, comes back, and he says, the sky is just as cloudless as it has ever been. I know, man of God, I believe you. I know what you've heard. I believe that you heard from God, but that, that, I've looked, and there ain't a bit of change. But the prophet is not casual and haphazard with his response of faith concerning his prophecy. And he intercedes again. When there's no change, he intercedes again. When the servant goes the third and fourth and fifth time and there's no change, he goes again. He intercedes over and over and over and over, not casual with his response of faith until the last time he intercedes and the servant goes and he comes back almost like this. Man of God, don't get too excited because there's a little change, but it's, it's not much. It's just a cloud likened to a man's hand. And when he says that, Elijah leaps to his feet and we find him outrunning the chariots of Ahab. Why? Because it's not his responsibility to bring the fullness of that to pass. He's just going to intercede until it crowns, until it begins to come through that spiritual matrix. And when it begins to crown and he sees the beginning of that, that's his promise coming to pass. And that which God has begun to do, he will fulfill. So he has done his purpose through his intercession too often we short our miracle and get 30 percent or 60 percent because we are demonstration of faith is casual and haphazard and we don't intercede until it begins to happen and once it begins to happen it's not time to keep interceding it's time to rejoice it's time to run it's time to shout it's time to yada zalmor halal it's time to give praise to god one more story real quickly. One of my favorite stories in the word of God is the marriage in Canaan. And understand that Jesus is there celebrating a wedding union and his disciples are there and his mama Mary is there. And they run out of traditional drink for these weddings. And Mary, his mother, comes to Jesus and says they've run out of wine. But understand She's not talking to him like a, like a one that is worshiping a savior talks to your savior. One that is praising their God. No, she's, she's mama and she's talking to him like this is her son. They have no wine. Indeed, I, I can remember times like this when I was a teenager and perhaps I was just lounging on the couch and my mom come and said, Tim, the trash needs to be taken out. And so I said, that is great information, Mama. 
I'm going to store that in the memory banks of my mind. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to get a committee together of my siblings and we will discuss that. No, <laughs> of course not. Because mom was telling me without saying it, get up off the couch, get that trash and take it out. Indeed, because it was my mom, she was saying, why do I even have to tell you? You should know when the trash needs to be taken out. I digress. So this is the way that Mary is speaking to her son, Jesus. She's basically saying, <clears throat> they have no wine, which means what you're going to do about it, Jesus. It's your responsibility. And Jesus speaks back to her words that we have misused men in our marriages. When Jesus says, woman, what have I to do with thee? <laughs> now, that's way out of context the way I said it is. Because when Jesus speaks this word woman, it's a Greek word that is never or rarely used except it's speaking about spouses, those that have become one flesh. And he's speaking to her woman, which means there's nobody closer to me than you. There is nobody in this world that knows me like you know me, that loves me. I'm lo you closer to me than anybody. And then he says, woman, what have I to do with thee? Which means it doesn't matter how close you are to me, mama. You can't pull strings on this one. You can't get favors on this one. And then he tells her why. Because my time is not yet come. What's that mean? It means absolutely, mama, you know who I am. I will calm the seas. I will open the blind eyes. I will unstop the deaf ears, but not today. That's tomorrow. That's in the future. But I want you to look at Mary's response of faith. She reaches back to the Old Testament prophecies, her prophecies. She reaches back to the prophecies of Gabriel the angel that prophesied the birth of her child Jesus. And she turns to the servants and she says, Whatever he says to do, do it. She is declaring, I know who you are. I know you're the miracle worker. I know that government of peace is upon your shoulder. I know that you're the blind eye opener. So she tells the servants, anything he says, whatever he says, you go for it. You do it with all your might, all your strength. And Jesus hears this point of faith. And he reaches into the future where the miracles are going to happen. And because of a now faith of his mother Mary, he pulls them into the present as he speaks to the servants, always servants in a miracle. And he tells the servants, go get six barrels of water. And so they take the barrels of water. And the scripture said, these barrels were stone barrels containing two or three firkins apiece. Two firkins is 18 gallons. Three firkins is almost 27 gallons. Huge gallons. And they have to fill these stone water pots up with water. Knowing that they, the servants, will have to be the one that give the water to the governor acting like it's wine. And when they fill the water pots, here's their faith. They don't put two firkins in it. They don't even put three firkins. They fill it to the brim. And you get the picture of water molecules holding together. It's brimming above the top. They went over the top with their response of faith to the prophetic. And Jesus said, okay, dip out now, reaching into the past and pulling into the future or the present. 
Dip out now and give to the governor of the feast. And 162 gallons of wine is produced because of an over-the-top faith of Mary and an over-the-top response of servants. This is the way the prophetic operates. This is how it operates in experience. This is how it operates in the word of God. I challenge you today because when God begins to speak to you that he has a financial blessing for you, the word that he will speak to show your faith, for you to demonstrate your faith, is usually going to be at your scarcity. It's going to be if you're in drought, use what water you have. It's going to be if you have a financial need, empty your pocketbook. Give sacrificially. It's going to be if you have a need for the miraculous healing, give yourself in physical demonstration of praise and worship. When he begins to speak to us prophecies of healings, of miracles, of blessing, of revival, he will then challenge us in one of our places of scarcity to see how much you believe it. It is time to operate in faith. And here's the words that I give you of encouragement. Whatever the Lord speaks to you to do, Go over the top with your response of faith. Go, go over the top with your response of faith and see if he won't pour out 100% of what is prophesied to you. Now believe and receive the word of God right now wherever you're at. Even in the midst of this time, I declare a mighty outpour revival upon true vine. I speak of financial blessing. I speak of healings and miracles by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Believe it and receive it in Jesus' name. Now, according to your faith obedience, even so, let it be unto you in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. You can visit our website or church app if you would like to give. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe, like and share it with your friends, and tag us on social media. Because we want to witness with you what God is doing in your life. Thank you, and God bless.